What is going on? Nine o'clock. How we doing, guys? We doing good? Awesome. So as John mentioned, we're in this teaching series called Doxology. Here's what doxology means. Doxa means glory. Ology means the study of. So the next three weeks, we're going to be committing to the study of glory. Doxology. We'll be looking at what it means to worship. And I'm excited because next week, Pastor Winston from Blessed Temple, who John just mentioned, is actually going to be teaching here. And he is used, just to, just to set you guys up, just to prepare you, he's used to a higher frequency of amens. So if you want to try that out, if you want to try that out today, we can just get used to it to set Pastor Andre up for success. And he, we should also know that, that his community is used to a higher level of volume uh, than, than we maybe are because of my soft, gentle voice. So to prepare us uh, for that, uh, I might be shouting at you this morning. No, um, but I'm excited about it. And then Pastor John is going to be concluding our series two weeks from now. Where here's what I want, here's what I really would love to happen, is for this community, Anchor Church, whether you're new, whether you've been with us when, you know, before we launched around, t- wherever, that this teaching series would leave a mark on our worship. That this teaching series would leave a mark on our worship. Uh, years ago, when I was in high school, um, it's fun to say years ago when I was in high school, I know I look so young, um, a girl who, uh, you know, I mean, I, uh, who I was maybe a little interested in said, hey, do you want to go to youth group? Um, and uh, I didn't know what youth group was, but it seemed like she was asking me on a date. Uh, seemed pretty clear. Uh, so I uh, obliged, uh, missionary dating, hello, but um, I was not a Jesus follower at all, but so I, so I went to this thing called youth group, which was, a, you know, a date. Uh, and I went a few times. It was a good experience. I, I didn't really know much of what they were talking about as I wasn't a follower of Jesus at that point. And so it was awkward where after I went for a few weeks, they asked me to pray. Um, now, I don't know if you've ever watched Meet the Parents. It's not exactly a movie I can recommend as a pastor. But there is a scene in there where Ben Stiller's character is asked to pray at the dinner table, and you can tell he does not know what to say. Uh, And I have so much sympathy for him because I was in a similar spot. I don't know what words were coming out of my mouth. Maybe it was tongues. I'm not quite sure. Um, But at one point, I said amen. I know that. I remember after a few weeks uh, walking back to uh, this gal's car that had invited me, and she looked at me and she said, don't you just love worship? And I had no idea what worship really was, but I said, because she asked me, of course, worship is just so good. I love worship. Fast forward a few years later, I'd become a Jesus follower. God had radically changed my life. I was a college student sitting in the front row uh, of a college ministry, like learning for the first time about like what it meant that God loved me. It was like every time I went to a college ministry or a Bible study, it was like I was stepping through the Narnian wardrobe into this new world where there was this new reality where like, where there was things that I didn't know existed, but they did, and they were becoming real in my life. I remember like in the front row looking to my left and to my right and seeing people that are lifting their hands as they sang these songs that I came to find out was what people meant when they said worship. 
and I like experienced two things. One, like intimidation, like wow, you can raise your hands and but also like like ad, like admiration I think is the right word. Like I wanted that freedom that they had to be able to express what was happening in my heart in a visible way to be able to just kind of let loose because there was no other word that really could describe what I was seeing but freedom. Freedom. I wanted to feel that, and the thing that was keeping me from that was like the thought of like, uh, what would that person think, or what would that person think? You think I, I was more aware of the people here than the words there, but I wanted to because I believed it, and so, so that really the thought of what people might think if I just raised my hands was more real than the love of God, and I desperately wanted to get to the point where it's just really an audience of one, not just an audience of many. Fast forward a couple more years, and uh, I had become a hand-raising, fist-pumper, you know, stomper that I am to this day. If you're wondering who started the clap, sometimes it's me this morning. Candace, a few weeks ago, my wife, uh, she said, you know, Brian, you sing really loud. <laughs> Which I took as a compliment. You were laughing, but... Uh, you know, so like... Here's the question. Like, what is worship? Because the, because the reality is, is like, it's a churchy word. Would you agree? It's not a word that you probably use in your nine-to-five work experience where you're like, you know, how was the worship today? That's not something you say to your coworker offhandedly. It's a churchy word. And if you're like me, you came into the church not really knowing what worship was, and people started saying, worship, worship, worship. And then you're like, yeah, worship. And so sometimes we, like, use these words where none of us are really sure what they mean. So we're going to be defining what worship is today. We're going to be asking the question, is it just a song? Is it like whatever Maverick City music drops most recently? Is that the definition of worship? Or is it more than a set list? Is it more than a song? So to be answering the question, we're going to be taking the long road. Is that okay with you guys? If we take the long road to answer that question? which just means that you guys have to focus for beyond the first 10 minutes. I know you all do that anyways, but just kind of just to, you know, for that one person. That's for that one person. I'll do it for the one. Uh, we're going to be answering the question, taking the, wrong, the long road, um, looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. I want to read it, the whole, these two verses, uh, and we're going to be looking like phrase by phrase at this passage of Scripture. So I'm going to read it, and we'll be looking phrase by phrase through this passage of Scripture. If you have your Bible, you can open it, uh, whether it's paper or phone, but it's also on the screen right now. And it begins like this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Okay, like I said, we're going to be looking at this passage of Scripture phrase by phrase. So the first phrase we're looking at is this passage where it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, here's the old hat rule of thumb when you're reading Scripture. If you grew up in the church and you've heard it from your pastor, you know, from young to old, I apologize, you know, but it's, it's still helpful for us to hear. When you read a therefore in Scripture, what do you got to do? You got to ask, what is it there for? Because a therefore is a hinge word. It's like a, it's like a hinge on a door where it opens. It moves one thing to the next. So therefore, we have to assume that Paul is referring to something in the past. And so the first 11 chapters of Romans really are what you could say is the first systematic theology of the Christian church. Paul wrote the, God, the letter of, of Romans, letter to the Rome, Christian Romans, uh, in prison most likely, which means he had a lot of time to think. And so it's the most complete, exhaustive, in-depth book, in uh, really letter, in all of Paul's writing. In the letter to the Romans, you'll read about the goodness of God, the goodness of creation, and then the brokenness of creation because of sin, the desperate estate of humanity, and the love of God that is persistent even in the face of our own rebellion and brokenness that is most clearly seen in the person of Jesus Christ. The first 11 chapters like document that, describe that. And so right here in Romans 12, he, he tr- makes this transitional move where he stops declaring about the nature of God and the realities of this world, and he moves to challenging us to live in a certain way. And so he says, therefore, out of, out of awareness, as we think about everything I've communicated in the first 11 chapters, therefore, I urge you. Now, when somebody says, I urge you to do something, I urge you, Brian, to go the speed limit. I've never heard that before. It just came to me. I don't know. Usually there's a motivation hanging out there behind the urging, right? There's some type of like reason for why you're urging me to do it. You're, you could be urging you, me to do it because, you know, you're, you know, like there's a great reward and I want you to get that reward. I urge you to do this so that you get the great reward. Or... You could get, you could, there could be urging me to do it because there's great punishment if you mess up. I urge you to do it. I urge you to clean your room now when I'm telling you to do it right now. I'm urging you because if you don't, I, I'm urging you to do it because, you know, I will, I will shame you if you don't. Or I urge you to do it because, because, because if you don't, and then you cause like a little bit of fear. Now, it's interesting what is Paul? When Paul says, I'm urging you to do it, what is he doing? You see, the world uses the motivations of fear and shame to provoke us towards action. What does Paul use? If I was to be honest, sometimes the church uses fear and shame too. And sometimes we come in to a church carrying those wounds of those past experiences and sometimes our religion, our religiosity, even our, in our, our pursuit of Jesus is, is marked by trying to work through, okay, I'm, I'm trying to not listen to the voices of fear and shame, but they're so loud in my head. What does God use? Well, we listen to what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of what? How messed up you are? No. In view of God's mercy. 
the motivation of God is to point to his mercy. Pay attention to his mercy. Pay attention to his love. Pay attention to how he was there for you in the areas where you weren't even there for yourself. Pay attention. In view of what? In view of God's mercy. I urge you in view of God's mercy. Pay attention to that. To do what? What is he urging us to do in view of God's mercy? He's urging us what? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So the prompt, the motivation to live in a certain way isn't how dare you, you idiot, clean yourself up, take care of yourself. You should have been past this by now. No, it's pay attention to the love of God that meets you wherever you're at and is never far from you. In fact, it is closer than you would ever imagine. Pay attention to that. And as you reflect on that, as you're mindful of that, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul probably wrote to Jews and Gentiles, a mix. But if you were a Jew or a Gentile, you had this familiarity with religion being connected to a temple. You would go there and you would offer a sacrifice. In fact, what Paul is most likely referring to as a living sacrifice is this idea in the Jewish world as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. A sacrifice of thanksgiving was a type of sacrifice that you would give at the temple where you would offer something of yours back to God, recognizing that he gave it to you in the first place. And so you'd say, thank you, God. Thank you for blessing me. Here's an expression of thankfulness back to you. But here's the interesting thing. Because Paul is writing to followers of Jesus, whether their background was Jewish or their background was pagan, they're followers of Jesus, and so there is no more need for a sacrifice because Jesus was the final sacrifice. And because they're followers of Jesus, there is no more need for a temple because God's Spirit dwells within all of us. And so what Paul is saying here, he's saying, offer your lives. Offer your whole life. Offer everything, offer yourself as an expression of thankfulness to God. You see, thankfulness cannot be thankfulness unless it's a response to something that was prior to it. You don't get a thank you card unless you give somebody a gift. I know, that's mind-blowing. And sometimes you don't even get a thank you card. But they're still thankful. They're still th- you don't know their heart. So a thanksgiving offering is a response to what God has done. So in view of God's mercy, offer your lives as a response of thankfulness to God. See your lives as a response to thankfulness. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. He says in Romans 12, his his paraphrase, he says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you, Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And Paul goes on and says, this is what worship is. He says, this, this is true and proper worship. 
This is, this is what worship is. If you're looking for the answer, this is the answer. Worship is the thankful response to the merciful God. Worship is in view of how God has been merciful to me, even as he could be just to me in a, in a way that would not be what I want. Even though he could be, he was merciful to me. And in view of God's mercy, I respond with a life of thanksgiving. Paul says this is true and proper worship. Pete, our worship pastor, uh, told us recently, Matt and I, he said, you know, when I was young, I thought learning happened only in the classroom. And so when I would go in the classroom, I would get ready for learning, and when I would leave the classroom, I wouldn't think that learning would happen outside of the classroom. And he said, there was a certain point where I connected, whoa, life could be about learning. And I could leave the classroom and carry a heart of a learner there, and so that everything I do, I could be learning. And so the classroom, yes, could be vital, but the all of life could be a landscape where I'm continually learning. And he said, then I learned that that was the same true, same, same thing about worship. That I, while I was young, I came in, I thought church was for worship. But there was a certain point when I asked the question, what if all of life was for worship? What if everything I did in my life was an expression of worship to the God who is merciful to me? Now, as your pastor, um, I want to just pause on that note because, like, honestly, like, there's something unique and special about the worship that happens in the gathering. You know, rarely do we find ourselves in community with other people on the road with Jesus where we are articulating words of worship to God collectively as a gathered people. So there is something unique that happens in this place that can't happen when you're like singing, you know, Hillsong in the shower. There is something unique that happens in this place. And here's the thing, not only do I want us to know that and cherish that and lift that up in an age of consumption and I'm going to set my playlist to whatever my preferences are on my time in an age of consumption, we get to come in here, the playlist has already been set and we get to know that it's going to be songs about worship even if it's not the songs that we would necessarily pick on our Apple Music or our Spotify playlist, but they're going to be songs of worship and so I'm going to sing songs of worship to God even though I didn't pick them with people that I didn't pick because God's worthy. There's something that's significant of that happens in this space. There is. There's something that significant happens in this place. So we need to cherish that. We need to lift it up and apprise it. But even, even more than that, like my heart for all of us is to make that transition that I made. Not like, oh, I made my transition, you know, look, come catch up with me. But, but like, but to find yourself in a place where you're less concerned about the people that are around you and you're more concerned about the God that is before you. Where you're like, I can lift my hands and I'm not intimidated because God's worthy and it's like an expression of my heart. You can find that level of freedom. Now, here's the thing. I don't want 
all of us to think that this is the ultimate expression of worship. I remember talking to a friend, and he said, Brian, sometimes I feel most like submitted to God when I just have my hands in my back pocket as an expression of like, I am before you just humble. And I'm like, I don't know what's so good about your back pockets, but it sounds great. <laughs> but I know I've felt moments of just like we're in stillness where God has like met me in powerful ways and I've been aware of how loving and powerful he is in moments of total stillness where I'm just, I don't have any clear visible expression. So the expression isn't the only thing, but my heart for you as your pastor is for in these moments when we are in a gathering, is for you to feel the freedom to express your thankfulness to God. But we do have to jailbreak our worship. We have to break it out of a morning on Sunday into all life expression. So like there's actions that like pop up in your life where you're like, yeah, I wasn't singing a song, but that was an aspect, that was worship right there. I remember, and I, I say this uh, a little uh, cautiously because it could be seen as like Brian did a good thing. And if you know me, you know my favorite stories are self-deprecating stories, the ones that, that make you cringe. You're like, oh my gosh, you did that? Oh, those are my favorite stories because really because I think they're funny and that's my sense of humor. But also it doesn't put me on some type of platform. So I want to ca- preface that. But I remember I was, I was a young Jesus follower. I remember I was a youth leader and, and the mom, we had this camp coming up and the mom and the dad said, hey, we would love our two kiddos to go to this camp, but we don't have the resources. And, and my, the youth pastor didn't tell me that you could ask for scholarships. I didn't know anything about scholarships. Again, I didn't come from a church background, so I was like, I got some money in my bank account. Maybe I, I'll fund them because I wanted these kids to go to the camp. And I, so, I, so as an act of worship, God, you are worthy. You are so worth knowing. I want them, these kids to go. And so I'm going to take money from my bank account and pay, put to, as, my college, as a college student, pay for these kids to go to camp because, because God, you're worthy. Now, my dad would have said, Brian, not a financial decision I would recommend. (laughs) My counselor would probably say, now, are you worried about your appeasing in this situation where you should just put some boundaries up and allow them to make their own decision? But in my heart, I knew that it was worship. In my heart, I knew that it was just this young man wanting two kids to go to a place where their lives could be changed. I think we need to make space in our everyday waking, sleeping life for spontaneous acts of worship like that. I'm going to listen to you a little longer than I would like to. Why? Because God's worthy. And he's shown mercy to me. So in view of God's mercy, I'm going to listen to you a little longer than I'd like. In view of God's mercy, I'm going to make a spontaneous phone call just to encourage a person that I don't even know if they're in the dumps, but I'm going to just let them know how awesome they are. In view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, I'm going to, I'm going to make an anonymous donation. In, in view of God's mercy, I'm going to spend some time praying for someone, and I'm not going to tell them about it. In view of God's mercy, I'm going to do something spontaneous that catches somebody off guard, that reminds them of the mercy of God that's chasing them down. And then we're intentional. It's spontaneous, but it's also intentional. In view of God's mercy, I'm going to budget differently. As an expression of worship to God, I'm going to to orient my priorities along, along God's line. 
In view of God's mercy, I'm going to look at my neighborhood differently. I'm going to see my neighborhood as not just the annoying guy that plays music too loud or the person that mows their lawn at 6 a.m. Who does that? I'm not going to be thinking about my neighbors in that way. I'm going to think these guys are worthy of love. They're worthy of love. Just as I am, as the cross shows, I'm going to look at intentionally my daily life differently. Here's what I ask. Here's what is helpful for me. I just ask the question about what worship is. I just ask, what will remain in heaven? What will be there? You see, in Revelation 21, by the way, teaser, we're going to do a series this year on Revelation. Come on, come on, come on. Watch out. Revelation 21 It talks about the kings of the earth, of all the nations, bringing their glory into the courts of heaven. What a weird passage. Didn't, wasn't God, didn't he have enough? But God was inviting us to bring all of our best stuff into heaven. It's this picture of like in heaven, I think our, our, our acts of worship will show up. Our secret acts of worship our hidden praise will show up in a beautiful way. Some of us need to know that. Some of us need to know, like, is this manifesting in anything? I've been pouring my life out. Can I just say, it's going to show up in heaven. Here's the principle. A focus on God's mercy enlarges our worship. When you know that God was merciful in the areas of your life where you didn't even know that he was there, but he was there chasing you down, when you know that he was merciful to you in every aspect of your life, you know that he's calling us to worship in every aspect of our life. Here's the corollary, though, because it's also important for us to understand. A focus on the world diminishes our worship. Paul goes on. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. At a moment recently, late at night, where I was thinking the wrong thoughts of frustration, resentment, not about anything, not about any of you. (laughs) Don't worry. In kind of this kind of, you could call it an anxiety cul-de-sac. Have you ever been there? Ever made a loop around the anxiety (laughs) cul-de-sac? I've seen that one again. I'm still doing it. Here's what got me out of it. As a discipline, as an act of the will, probably on my fifth lap around this anxiety cul-de-sac, I made a decision that I'm going to focus on God's mercy to me. I'm going to break this loop that I keep making. I'm going to will it. I'm going to say, I'm going to focus on God's mercy. If I'm not going to allow myself to be conformed to the world with its pattern of fear, shame, resentment, frustration, unreconciled relation, I'm not going to let that be the dominant word in my life that keeps me awake at night and steals my sleep and steals my joy. I'm going to focus on God's mercy. I'm going to allow God's mercy to be the dominant thing in my life. And that's going to provoke worship. Sometimes worship is a fight. The word conform there, it means to mold or shape. Can I tell you that the world doesn't want, the world wants nothing more but just to shape it. Shape your life according to its pattern. 
My daughter Zoe makes a, is make, making a lot of cookies recently. Some of them are good. You're a cookie cutter, you know, you put it in the dough and it conforms the dough to the cookie cutter and the world wants to take its cookie cutter and just put it on our life and steal our worship. Reject the cookie cutter. Reject the mold. Live in light of God's mercy. Allow that to be your focus. Worship team can come on up. Uh, but as we do, you know, the, 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 as the worship team comes on up, you hear this word, the etymology, that's a fancy word for saying the history of a word. The etymology of the word worship is really two words, worth and ship. So worship is just whatever has worth in our life. And let me just say this, it's impossible for us to not worship. We're always going to worship something. And the way we start asking, what am I worshiping is, what has the greatest amount of worth in my life? What has the greatest amount of worth? Sometimes you can ask the question, oh, if it's family, well, who was the one that allowed me to enter into this relationship with my family? Well, God was there before the family was there. God formed me into this man into this, this, or this woman who stepped into relationship with this other person. He was merciful to me. So if, I, if, if family has the greatest worth, God was there before and he created an environment where family could happen. So he's even greater worth. Whatever it is, God was there before. He is worthy of our worship. He has worth and as we step into this song, I want you to hear this awesome, awesome thing that Paul wrote right before Romans 12. You see, as I said, Paul spent the first 11 chapters just talking about the truths of God. He just couldn't stop. And then at the end of chapter 11, and commentators will say this, they'll say that randomly he breaks out in praise. The principle is that theology always leads to doxology. The easy way to understand it is understanding God always leads to praising God. And this is, these are the words he says. I want to read them over you, then we'll pray and we'll step back into this next song. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He spent time talking about how merciful and powerful God is. He goes, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. As we step into this song, I just want to pray over us. You can stand if you want. You can continue sitting. It's your call. Freedom. Spirit of God, come in this place. 
Would you maybe just even grab our our mind and shift it towards the mercy of God? Help us to engage in the fight for worship. Would you show up in this song as as a verbal expression of your worth? Whether silently singing or hands raised shouting, And would we carry this worship into the world, letting the world know with words and with actions the worth of God? Spirit of God, would you mark us with a knowledge of yourself in this place?